Welcome, everybody. I'm so glad that you're joining us today, whether you're doing that in person at one of our campuses or watching online. Either way, I'm just really glad that you're here. So believe it or not, we are in the ninth and final week of this step-by-step series. I was kind of looking back, and I believe it's official. Nine weeks is the longest message series I've ever preached. But the good news is we're at the final step of our step-by-step journey. Now, if you're new or you haven't been with us, what we've been doing over the last two months is we've been exploring how to build spiritual habits into our daily lives. And the reason we're doing that is because what we have discovered is that building a strong faith doesn't come from a few big decisions over the course of our life, but it actually comes from hundreds of little daily decisions that either move us closer to Jesus or further away from him. These little choices change everything because they have a way of adding up to where we end up in our spiritual journey. And so today, what I want to do is wrap this whole thing up by looking at what I would consider one of the most neglected spiritual disciplines in our culture, and that is the spiritual discipline of rest. Now, I know most of us don't think of rest as either spiritual or a discipline, but I would contend that resting is as important to our spiritual growth as spending time in God's Word. It's as important as connecting with other believers, and it is as important as serving others. And the reason I say that is because I believe God says that. Sleep is a big part. Resting is a big part. Taking time away, disconnecting is a big part of our relationship with God. In fact, so big that God put it in his top 10, the 10 commandments. Do you know what the fourth commandment is? It is to set aside one day every week to rest. It's important to God. In fact, Jesus affirms the importance of rest in our relationship with him in these familiar words from Matthew 11, verse 28. Notice what Jesus said. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? I will give you rest. Do you see that connection between our closeness to Jesus And our rest, the closer we get to Jesus, the more we are able to rest. And I would say that the more we are willing to practice the discipline of resting, the closer that's going to draw us to Jesus. I believe it's obvious and clear that as human beings, God has designed us to need rest. Obviously, we need a time of sleep, of rest, out of every 24 hours. We need a day, a week out of rest. And throughout the year, we need seasons of rest in our lives. It's obvious that God designed us to live in this rhythm, this balance of working hard and resting. 
But what I also know is that in this culture that we live in, listening to that rhythm, following that rhythm is incredibly difficult to do. Have you ever driven on the interstates on the outskirts of Atlanta, Georgia at rush hour? I'm not talking about when the traffic's at a standstill. I'm talking about when it's five wide and 80 miles an hour. When you're in that traffic, it is nearly impossible to slow down, isn't it? I mean, you'll get run over. It's like we just get sucked along by the speed of the vehicles around us. And I think that's a picture of the world in which we live. Often, we're just swept along with this breakneck pace of the world around us. And so today, we're going to look at some strategies for slowing down and resting And the truth is, when you leave here today, you'll have some very practical tools to help you slow down and rest. But if you're actually going to put these into practice, it's going to take more than just saying, wow, what a good message. Wow, I really needed that today. It's going to take intentionality. It's going to take accountability. It's going to take a desire that moves you to action. Otherwise, you'll leave here with some good information, but it will bring absolutely no transformation to your life unless you're willing to put it into practice. So let's jump in. Number one, the first strategy for slowing down and resting is to start with the heart. You have to start with the heart. See, most of us think we're busy because of the circumstances around us or the demands that are put on us. But the truth is, busyness is a heart issue. Busyness is always an inside job. Let me say it this way. You're not busy because you have a full schedule. You have a full schedule because you have a discontented heart. Let me say that again. You're not busy because you have a full schedule. You have a full schedule because you are discontent, right? I mean, we want what we want, and we're willing to work as many hours as it takes, as many days of the week as it takes to try to get what we think we need. Now, I was thinking this week about the Apostle Paul. Talk about a guy who accomplished a lot in his life. Right? I mean, you're talking about a guy that nearly single-handedly planted most of the New Testament churches in the known world, and in the meantime was also running his own small business. And then in his spare time, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. This is a guy who did a lot with his life, but you'll notice you never seem stressed out, burnt out, and hung out to dry. How? How was he able to do all of that and not be overwhelmed by busyness? I'll let him answer it for you. Notice Philippians 4.11. Paul says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Key word, learned. You have to learn contentment. Contentment is not natural for us as human beings. We're not born naturally content with what we have. You don't believe that, go over to Kids Creek with the two-year-olds. They never want the toy they have. They always want the toy that somebody else has. 
And while we put a polish on our act, our hearts still tend to function that way. But here's the good news. Because contentment can be learned, you can learn contentment. Because the apostle Paul learned how to live a content life, he doesn't have anything, any resources in his life that you don't have. It's just a matter of are you willing to make that decision? Are you willing to make the little daily choices that lead to contentment? Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not talking about complacency. Complacency and contentment are two different things. Complacency is just kind of giving up, throwing in the towel. Complacency is being okay with the status quo, with where you are and where the world around you is. Complacency is a lack of ambition, just kind of floating through life. Contentment is being ambitious for the right things. Contentment is about living a life based on what truly matters. Contentment is a joy within you no matter what you have or don't have around you. Contentment is this deep, settled confidence that trust, is, trust God with the plan and the timing for my life. And the more content your heart becomes, the easier it will be for you to practice the spiritual discipline of rest. Now listen, not only do we have to push back against our own nature to deal with our busyness, we also have to push back against the culture and the lies of the enemy. We often buy into the lies of the world and to our enemy, Satan, that cause us to be overly busy and discontent. One of those lies is that having more will make me happy. That if I have more money, more stuff, more this, more that, if I have more, I'll be happier. If that were true, then the wealthiest people in the world would be the happiest people in the world. I don't see that to be true. In fact, if that were true, America would be the happiest place on earth because we are the wealthiest nation on earth. Are you seeing a lot of happiness in the world around you? Is there a lot of happiness showing up on Facebook? No. You know, as a pastor, I've had the privilege of, of traveling all over the world on mission with Cedar Creek Church. And most of the places that I go are places with extreme poverty. Extreme poverty. I'm talking about places where most people live on less than $2 a day. And yet in the midst of all that poverty, you know what I found consistently? Happiness, a joy, a simplicity to life. Now, I know I'm being stereotypical, and I'm, not, I'm saying this in general, not all people in all places. I'm just saying that I'm pretty sure having more will not make you happier. I believe that's why Jesus says these words in Luke 12, 15. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. You see that? 
Your value is not determined by your valuables. Can I just share an observation with you? I mean, I'm 57 now. I, I just kind of, I'm an observer of people and trends and, and things around me. And here is what I have observed in my life. We have a tendency to sacrifice our health to gain wealth in the first half of our life only to have to sacrifice that wealth to try to hold on to our health in the second half of our life. You follow me? In our 20s and 30s and 40s, we work ourselves to the bone to put up enough money to get through the golden years, and we destroy our health. And then we have to spend all of that money on doctor's appointments and procedures and hospitals and all of that to try to hold on to some little bit of health. Or you retire and die within the first year and leave it to your ungrateful family. Either one is not good. What I'm saying is perhaps... What God has designed for us is a more balanced, rhythmic life of work and rest. You know, another lie that drives us to be busy is the lie that life is a competition. That life, we're we're competing with other people. You know, some got to win, some got to lose, and good time Charlie's got the blues. Well, I've never really understood what that song meant. Here's what I know. The number one source of discontentment is comparison. Comparison almost always leads to discontentment. You don't believe me? Go look at some new homes this afternoon. Go look at some new houses and see how discontent you become with your house when you get back home. Or, or go drive around a brand new car lot and see how quickly you become discontent with the vehicle that before you were pretty satisfied with. That's what comparison does. And isn't it interesting that we always compare up and not down? We always compare people we think have things better, not with people who have things worse. That's one of the issues with social media right? We compare our known reality to the highlight reel of somebody else's life, and we immediately become discontent. I love this verse from Proverbs chapter 14. Notice what it says, a heart at peace, a content heart gives life to the body, but envy, comparison, rots the bones. So let me just ask you, where are you a little discontent in your life right now? Where are you comparing? Where are you buying into the lie that if you could just get a little more, you'd finally be happy, you'd finally be satisfied? Is it in your finances? Is it your own desire for prestige and success and the opinions of others? Are you discontent by the expectations, unrealistic expectations that others are putting on you? If you're really going to practice the spiritual discipline of rest, it starts with being content in our hearts. Number two, the second thing we have to do, the second strategy to slowing down and resting is to develop a godly schedule. To develop 
a godly schedule because if we're honest, most of us would have to admit that our schedules have become ungodly. Now, when I say ungodly, I'm not just talking about filled with way too much stuff. What I'm saying is that we often don't follow God's instructions for the scheduling of our lives. Did you know God gives very clear instructions in how to schedule our lives? Right? One of them we talked about earlier, the, the fourth commandment. Here it is, Exodus 20, verses 9 and 10. This is what God says. This is how our life should be. This is what works best with our schedule. Work and get everything done during six days each week, but the seventh day is a day of rest. Why? To honor the Lord your God. It's called a Sabbath. Do you know what that Hebrew word Sabbath means? It literally means one-seventh. One out of every seven. And so God is saying in your schedule, there should be one day out of every seven in which you rest and honor him. Look, this is so important. We brush over it. But God puts this right up there with do not commit murder and do not commit adultery. Why? Because the consequences of not living this schedule can be as devastating as murder or adultery. It's devastating to our lives. See, the problem is because it's one of the commandments, we always look at it as a rule to be followed rather than a gift to be enjoyed. You know, you talk to anybody about the Sabbath, here's always how the conversation goes. What day do you believe is the Sabbath? If it, you know, is it on Saturday? Is it on Saturday? What day should it be? And then quickly the conversation switches to what you can and cannot do on that Sabbath, right? That's where our minds go. You can do this, you can't do that, you should do this. We always go into that. That's a misunderstanding of what the Sabbath is all about. That's why Jesus said, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for us. We are created to need that day of rest and focus on God. And that's really what a Sabbath is all about. What makes a Sabbath a Sabbath? It's not what day of the week it is. It's what you do during that day. Three things that make a Sabbath a true Sabbath. You might want to write these down in the margin. One, physical rest. A Sabbath is a time for physical rest. Two, it is a time to recharge emotionally. A Sabbath is given to us by God so that we can recharge emotionally. Do you know how to recharge emotionally? You must disconnect from the routine of the other six days of your life. Your Sabbath day should look different than every other day. You have to disconnect to have a Sabbath. I mean, you know you can be off work and not be off work, right? 
You're still checking the phone messages. You're, you're still checking the emails. Or even if you're not doing that, you're still trying to solve the problems in your mind. You're still focused on work. You're still thinking about work. That's not a day off of work. That's a day when you're busy in your mind and wasting time with your body. If you're going to do that, you might as well go on back to work and at least get part of something done productive. But let me tell you something. That is not how God has designed you. You need to disconnect in your mind. And then the third thing that makes a Sabbath a Sabbath is reconnect with God. To reconnect with God. To take some time to focus on him. I think that's why the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. You can't really know God, know him in a relationally connected way. If your mind's on work, if you're, you're always focusing about everything else that God said, you've got six days to deal with that. Take at least one day and rest. Listen, not only does God uh, institute a weekly rest for us, but I believe the Bible teaches that we are to have longer periods of rest throughout the year. Here's why I say that. The Jewish calendar, do you know that God built into the Jewish calendar not just one day of rest a week, but he built in seven Sabbaths throughout the week. These special Sabbaths, these festivals, these celebrations in which the whole nation took time off of their regular schedule and focused on the Lord. These regular vacations from the busyness of work and life are a part of the rhythm and schedule that God desires, not just for the nation of Israel, but for us as well. You see this in the example of Jesus' life. I mean, Jesus was busy. He had huge crowds and high expectations, and he would often work all day and part of the night. But what you also see with Jesus is he would intentionally withdraw, either with or without his disciples, to just get away from the rat race and the chaos around him. Jesus' life rhythm is a rhythm of advance and retreat, advance and retreat. Look, you're going to have busy weeks, busy seasons, busy years. But if you stack busy on top of busy and don't develop a rhythm of retreating, regularly retreating, you're going to struggle not just physically. Yeah, you're going to need a hard cast. You're going to have a stroke. But I would say worse than that, you are never going to truly get spiritual depth in your Life. You know, I was reading this week, it was a comparison of the difference in vacationing among Europeans versus Americans. The average European takes six weeks of vacation a year. The average American takes less than two. In fact, every year, millions of paid vacation days are left on the table because we're just too busy. Now, I know how some of you think, yeah, and that's why the Europeans, those bunch of liberals, their, their economy's in the tank. But in America, we work hard. We work all the time. Yeah, we work and we die unnecessarily because we're not following the rhythm that God has given us. 
Look, I understand. Maybe you can't take time off right now. You can't take vacation. You don't have any. It's been a weird year. I get that. But something every one of us can do is just take pauses every day. Every day, you can just take a little time and step back. In fact, a friend of mine shared an app with me this week. It's the coolest thing. It's called the One Minute Pause app. And in fact, those of you watching online, we're going to put a link to it in the chat. Those of you in person, we're going to put a link to it on our app. But basically, it's just a simple app you download. You pick two times each day, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. It just reminds you to take one minute to step away to breathe and to focus on God. It gives you a little scripture, a little encouraging word, just a moment. And I've only been doing it for a couple of days, but I'm gonna tell you it's incredibly helpful because that's how we are designed. Another way to make our schedules a little more godly is to trust God's timing. Look at Ecclesiastes 3.11. It says, he talking about God. He does everything just right and when? on time. But people can never completely understand what he is doing. God's timing is always perfect. The problem is it doesn't fit with our timetable. It often doesn't fit when when we think God ought to do what he ought to do. And as a result, we run ahead of God. We sacrifice rest and we sacrifice health because let's face it, we don't really trust God. You know that verse that we saw where Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest? Do you know what the next words out of his mouth were? Take my yoke upon you. Do you know what a yoke is? No, it's not the yellow part of an egg. It's a single piece of wood that connects two animals to pull together. And the yoke not only combines their strength, but it keeps them at the same pace. Jesus said, come to me to get rest, but you got to follow my schedule. You got to trust me in the timing. Listen, I understand. Believe me, I understand. For some of you, the pain of waiting on God is nearly overwhelming. I get that. You're waiting on God to answer that prayer, and he's been silent for so long. You're waiting on that prodigal son or prodigal daughter to come home. You're waiting on that spouse to finally wake up and get it and make the changes. And I'm not minimizing the pain of waiting on God. I understand it myself. But I also know this, the pain of running ahead of God can be worse than the pain of waiting on God. So where do you need to be a little more godly in your schedule? Do you need to really start taking a Sabbath? Do you need to take a vacation? Do you, do you need to trust God's timing? If you're going to develop the spiritual discipline of rest, you've got to start with the heart you got to make your schedule more godly. And number three, the most practical one of all, you got to ask before you add. Ask before you add. See, our tendency is just to mind, mindlessly add more and more to our schedules without really considering the cost, without asking ourselves, should I really be doing this? Is this important? Is this God's purpose for my life? Does this lead me to Jesus or away from him? 
Because as I've said throughout this series, your spiritual journey is determined by the little steps over time. And there is no more bigger choice you make than what you do with your time. Think it through. Proverbs 20, 25 says, It is a trap to dedicate something rashly and only later consider one's vows. In other words, be careful what you commit to because it's easy to make commitments, but they are hard to keep. Would you agree with that, that it's easier to make commitments than it is to follow through and keep them? That it's easier to get into stuff than to get out of stuff, right? The only exception to that is a pair of new jeans. They're always harder to get into than out of. And so we need to think it through. Be intentional about what you say yes to. Ask before you add. Who do you ask? Look at what the Bible says, James 1.5. If any of you needs wisdom to know what you should do, what should be on your schedule, you should ask God, and he will give it to you. See, most of us apply that to the big decisions, right? We pray and ask God about who we should marry. Should we buy this house? Should we take this job? Should we move to this other town? But few of us pray and ask God for the small things that have a way of filling up our schedule and overwhelming our lives. Ask God before you say yes. And not only do we need to ask God, but you need to ask yourself a couple of questions before you add something to your schedule. Let me quickly give you two questions to always ask before you put something on your calendar. One, is it worth it? Is it really worth it? Because everything you add to your schedule, you are exchanging your life for that thing. Because your life on this earth is measured in the, the hours and days and weeks that you have. And so you are literally exchanging the gift of your days of your life from God for whatever that is you're adding on. And I think if we would do this, we would find out that we can say no to some good things and that will make some space for the best things. Ask yourself, is it worth it? Second question, what am I going to give up? What am I going to give up? Because time, your time on this earth is a zero-sum game. Everything that goes in takes something else out. Now, I know what you're thinking. No, Philip, look on my calendar. I got blank spaces in my calendar. I'm not taking anything out of that. It's just blank spaces. Well, let me ask you, don't you think those blank spaces are actually time? Like if you got a blank space in your calendar this afternoon between 2 and 4, do you really think nothing's going to happen between 2 and 4 because there's nothing on your calendar? I mean, do you think you're going to be at 1.59 p.m.? You're going to be teletransported to 4 p.m.? No. Something's going to happen there. Maybe it's a nap. Maybe it's a God-appointed opportunity that someone reaches out that needs help. Maybe it's just a little margin and space to breathe and rest and recover Everything is taking the place of something when it comes to your calendar. So here's your homework. Here's what I want you to do. Sometime today or this evening, I want you to take out your calendar, whether it's on your phone or your old school paper, paper calendar, and I want you to look at the next three months because guess what? That's all that's left in 2020. 
Some of you are saying, thank you, Jesus. I can't wait to be beyond this year. But you have three months left. I want you to just look in there and ask yourself, are the things in there what I really want to be in there? Is that really what I want to give my life to? Is that the best use of my time? You know, I understand for some This pandemic has ratcheted up the pace, but let's be honest, for the majority of us, especially this summer, it slowed life to a crawl. We had lots of blank spaces on our calendars, right? And we figured out, we rediscovered the joy of spending time with family. We rediscovered the joy of taking a walk, riding a bike. We rediscovered the joy of a little bit of space and margin and time. What I'm saying is, as this thing begins to wind down, whenever it winds down, let's don't go back to the same old, same old. Let's be intentional about how we spend our time because the more you develop this rhythm of hard work and rest, the more spiritual growth you're going to experience. Let's close with this last verse on your outline, Psalm 127. It is senseless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, fearing you will starve to death. For God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, I thank you that you designed us the way that you did. And I thank you that you've given us clear direction as to how we are to schedule and live our lives. And I thank you, Father, that when we live that way, it not only makes our life work better, makes us physically and spiritually and emotionally healthier, but I thank you that it is a way that we can glorify you. That when we choose to step back and rest, even when there's much more to be done, that we are saying that we trust that you can do more when we're sleeping than we could ever do in all the hours of work in our life. So Father, help me, help these friends that I love so much, help us as a church family. Learn the spiritual discipline of rest in a way that would bring honor and glory to you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.